Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, if you've had a bladder leak today, listen up. I get it. I tried pills and pads for years but couldn't find relief until I found Axonics Therapy. It's a tiny device that put me back in control of my bladder. Why not see if it could work for you? Visit FindRealRelief.com. That's FindRealRelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonics is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to FindRealRelief.com. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. You are listening to the MD's, the Fantasy, MD's Football Fantasy Football show. show. And we are here because we are recapping the first round of the NFL draft. And we are going to give, go through each pick, go through our fantasy analysis for each pick. Yes, that includes defenders and offensive linemen because it all has fantasy impact for someone. So we're going to be going over all of those picks made today. And you're going to get my reactions on not just from a fantasy standpoint with some teams, but also going to get my reaction from just an overall NFL perspective standpoint. And in case you guys don't know already and haven't listened to the show before, I am a 49ers fan. So you're going to get my analysis for their picks, but you're also going to get my fan reaction for them. So hopefully we can have a little bit of fun with that one. Before we go ahead and get started, though, I want to talk to you guys real quick about how you can contact the show in the MD Nation hotline, 609-362-2480. You can call that number at any time and leave a message, leave a comment a question, a rant, whatever the case may be. And you can go ahead and talk about whatever you need, and we will put you on the show at the end of an episode whenever I get a few of them together, and we'll have a nice little mailbag segment off of that. But you can also contact the show on Twitter, at MDSFFshow. You can contact the show on Facebook, at MDFFshow. Or you can email us directly, MDSFantasyFootball at gmail.com. And one other thing I want to make a quick announcement on is that we are currently, for the first time, streaming a full episode live, not just on sportscaster.com at MDFF Belly Up USN, not just on YouTube, MD's Fitting Football Show, look it up and subscribe, not just on Facebook at MDFF Show. 
We are also live right now on Periscope to Twitter that you can always find us on there now as well at MDSFF Show. We are now live there too. Very, very excited, very happy to be here and very, very happy to kick things off for you guys. So let's before we go ahead and get into the draft, there's a quick note from this week that we haven't been able to talk about because I haven't seen you guys since last week. One of the downfalls while doing a show once a week is I don't always get to keep up with you guys with exactly what has happened since then. But what we do have going on is we've got Rob Gronkowski. He went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, comes out of retirement, gets traded for a fourth-round pick, essentially, and then winds up there with Tom Brady. Now, a couple of things to talk about with this, everyone's reaction, how much you know? How much is Rob Gronkowski really going to be able to play? How much of an impact can he actually make? Well, I think at the very least, the very minimum, we all know that he can make a big impact in the red zone. He is somebody who already has the chemistry with a Tom Brady to be able with, especially with this offseason and, and not having all the practice time in the world, he'll already have somebody he has chemistry with going into the season. How much is he going to be asked to play right now? The reports have mostly been centered around the idea that Bruce Arians isn't going to ask him so much to do a lot of blocking, isn't going to ask him so much to play a lot of first and second down work, or I should say first down rushing down type of work, more in situations where they're definitely going to be throwing the ball, have him flex out wide, have him be there in two-minute drills, uh, have him be there in the red zone especially, kind of in those capacities. I do think in bigger games, in bigger moments, uh, if Rob Gorkowski is playing well and is healthy at the time, they will ask him here and there to play a little bit more in line to get a little, not be so predictable, but also have him on the field more times than not in those bigger moments. But in the beginning of the season especially, I don't know how much we're going to see Rob Gronkowski out there when they're going to be run blocking. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm going to be curious to see. A lot of people have them moving on from O.J. Howard, and it is a possibility because of the contract situation that they have with Cameron Bray, right? Cameron Bray took a pay cut already to stay on the team going into this season. That was before they added Rob Gronkowski, before they knew they were going to add Rob Gronkowski to the mix. So it's more likely that you trade O.J. Howard. He probably has the most trade value as he's still a young tight end who's looked at has a lot of talent a lot of potential but at the same time if you're not going to ask Rob Gronkowski to block a lot well you kind of need OJ Howard because he's going to be the tight end who can block that's the one nice thing about OJ Howard he is a very all-around tight end Cameron Brait's not a blocker and if you're going to have Rob Gronkowski do the two-minute drills and the red zone specialist and all that stuff well that's kind of what Cameron Brait is so yes while he took a, a, a pay cut from a schematic, from a fit, from a role standpoint, it would make a little bit more sense to me to find a way for moving on from Cameron Bray because of what you're saying that you're not going, what you are and aren't going to ask Rob Gronkowski to do. So that remains to be seen. Maybe they just go into the season with all three tight ends if they're able to swing that. Uh, I do believe Rob Gronkowski in some shape, way, or form. I think they're going to have to redo his contract at some point. I don't, think they, I don't think they can pay him $10 million this season. So whether it's a, a little bit of an extension where he'll eventually get the full payout uh, next year, regardless of whether or not he plays, uh, I see them doing something along those lines. Now, as far as Gronkowski himself, there's been some concerns like, oh, he's got to get his weight up. He's, Look, there have been reports prior to this that he was already getting his weight up. He was already getting in shape. Don't, don't forget, he was supposed to be uh, attending a wrestling event in a couple of months from now he was getting in shape for that already and from what it sounds like ever since Brady signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Gronkowski has kind of been preparing for this moment already so the idea is that from the last report that we heard he is already at 250 pounds that's about what his playing weight was now whether that's you know NFL muscle playing weight uh, 
we don't know. I only got the, I only got the scale readout. I wasn't there for uh, the body fat in uh, content, uh, you know, measurement there. But it, it Rob Gronkowski, knowing his work ethic, knowing that if he had an idea that this was coming ahead of time, would not be surprised if he is ready to go from a physical standpoint heading into this season. Now, a lot of people are like, well, he had his back injuries, and yep, those all are all issues. I think that's a big reason why they're not going to ask Rob Gronkowski to be the every down starter, not going to ask him to do a ton of run blocking, at least not from the line of scrimmage. Can I see him still crack blocking from a flex position? Yeah, I can see him doing things like that, but I don't think they're going to ask him to go up against these defensive linemen too much anymore to kind of save his back to make sure he does stay healthy. But Rob Cass has come out and said he feels great after the year off. His body's needed time to heal. He feels 100%. This is a guy, like I said, I'll keep reiterating, was going to attend in a wrestling event, was going to be very active in that so clearly from a physical standpoint he feels okay right now because if he wasn't playing football he would still be doing other physical demanding activities so that's where I'm a little bit more optimistic I think than most when it comes to Rob Gronkowski and his health and what he's going to be able to bring to the table but that's enough of that we got to talk about the NFL draft we have a ton to get over we have a a ton of reactions to talk about ton of fantasy analysis to get through and it was only round one we still have the second round later on so we have round one to recap. We got to kick it off, of course, with the Cincinnati Bengals. But before we do that, I want to give a quick shout out to Belly Up Fantasy Sports. Did a great job covering the first round of the draft with fantasy analysis on the fly. We'll be doing so again with the second and third round. It's your one-stop shop for all fantasy sports and sports money-making endeavors as their gambling department will be coming out with content later in the future. And of course, will always be there for DFS and any kind of fantasy leagues that you are possibly in for all sports not just football, basketball, hockey, and hopefully what will be a baseball season coming up to you guys very, very soon. So all of that is going on. Very, very excited. But to no further ado, we got to get into this. Cincinnati Bengals, they finally go ahead and take Joe Burrow on this one. Uh, no surprise. I will say Joe Burrow's reaction getting to see that on live television didn't look like a guy who was all that excited. Now you can say like, well, he already knew this was coming. They had days in advance, yada, yada, yada. That, that's, all, that's all fine and good if that's really the case. But it, it really genuinely looked like to me like a guy who wasn't all that excited about having to go to Cincinnati, but did not pull an Eli Manning, will be going, put on the hat. He's, he's going to be playing there. I don't think that's going to be an issue uh, anymore. Now, as far as his fantasy fit, I have talked about this time and time again because we kind of already knew this was coming, so I had some time to kind of break this down just to reiterate what I had for that. You have Joe Burrow here. He fits perfectly one with the Zach Taylor system, which what Zach Taylor really wants to run. What we saw last year was not really the schematics that Zach Taylor wanted to implement. It was a lot of by default, having a terrible offensive line, uh, having some inconsistencies at quarterback, trying to figure out what they wanted to do. There was just a lot of things up in the air for the Cincinnati Bengals last year that just did not go right. That wasn't really the schematics that we wanted to see, especially when A.J. Green went down. I think everything kind of just folded up and went out the garbage chute. Now, with A.J. Green presumably coming back healthy this season because there are a lot of reporters that say A.J. Green could have came back last year if he really wanted to push himself. Clearly, he didn't want to do that, didn't want to risk his financial future. But this year, even on the franchise tag, seems like he's okay with playing on that for the $18 million this year, wants to get back to playing football. He is an elite receiver if he's on the field and if he is healthy. And he fits that Robert Woods role perfectly. And I would argue if he's healthy, he's even better. 
And then you have John Ross, who as of now is still expected to make the team, still expected to be on the team. He fits the Brandon Cooks role perfectly. Tyler Boyd fits the Cooper Cup role perfectly. Joe Mixon fits the Tyler, Todd Gurley role perfectly. One quick note on t- Joe Mixon. He is somebody we're going to be talking about a lot this offseason if he is, in fact, willing to hold out and the Cincinnati Bengals are, in fact, going to slow play his contract extension. So it remains to be seen on that. But for now, let's assume that he does play. They have all the weapons in the world to be able to run the offense that they want to be able to run. So Joe Burrow comes in. He has great weapons, more weapons than you would expect a quarterback who was taken number one overall to have going into his rookie season. He already fits what he likes to do within that system, three receiver sets, a lot of quick timing routes. He'll be able to use his legs. So not only is Joe Burrow a top dynasty pick, and I've had to come, I've had to come around on Joe Burrow because at first I wasn't sure he's as good as everybody was trying to make him out to be because to me, you're looking at his stats, he's a one-hit year wonder. Nobody had him going earlier in the fifth round to start the season, and I'm very, very uh, leery or skeptical of guys who coming into the season are looked at as day three draft picks and all of a sudden shoot up day one after one season. But it was that impressive of a season. How much of that was Joe Brady coming in? How much of that was Joe Burrow improving? Look, watching the tape, the guy, if he has a clean pocket, he has clean mechanics, there's not a throw in the field that he cannot make, and you do like the fact that he can be mobile. The question is, when he has pressure in his face, his mechanics tend to break down. He doesn't have the strongest natural arm in the world, so if he doesn't have his mechanics, he doesn't have his feet set under him, that ball tends to flutter on him quite a bit. Reminds me a little bit of Jared Goff in that instance. Then the difference between Joe Burrow and Jared Goff, though, is that he's much more mobile. So I'll be able to save him in some instances. Joe Burrow, not only is a dynasty pick, but to me, he's a guy who could have some redraft value, some sleeper-type quarterback value later on. And once I get to my projections and rankings, I'll be able to tell you exactly where I'm going to have him valued at. But he is somebody who I'm going to have my eye on. If you are not looking to take a quarterback early, I want to take one in the late teens. Burrow might actually have some sleeper value for you guys in redraft leagues this season. Moving on to pick number two, we had the Washington Redskins. And to no surprise, they went ahead. They took Chase Young. They did what they should do. I've already talked about this a little bit as well. Chase Young will be a guy who can come in day one and participate right away. I still don't think this is a guy who's going to come in day one and be a first and second down starter unless he's able to put on at least 10 pounds between now and the start of training camp, which is possible. But it has to be 10 pounds of muscle. It has to be 10 pounds of thickness because the one thing is against bigger offensive tackles, he can still get blown off the line of scrimmage and be susceptible against the run, which is why I said before heading into my mock drafts that I did not have him rated as high as Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa like a lot of other people seem to have his potential even beyond those guys is he maybe more explosive as a pass rusher yes possibly he's definitely more of an athlete than those two necessarily are but they are more all around than he is but his presence on there with this defense switching to a 4-3 with Montez Sweat on the other side with the Ron Payne and Jonathan Allen in the interior this has a chance to be one of the best defensive lines in all of football with this addition heading into this season you add Ron Rivera as the head coach you add Jack Del Rio as a defensive coordinator two guys who specialize in the front seven of defenses especially. I do like this quite a bit. I think the Redskins are a defense that could wind up being a top 10 fantasy football defense for you guys heading into this season. So there's nothing much more to say there. We want to move on. Keep this thing rolling. We've got 32 picks to get through. we got the Detroit Lions on the clock. 
there was a lot of this was the, possibly the first spot that we were going to see a trade right this is where teams maybe the Dolphins felt like they had to move up to get to a uh, there was a lot of controversy in front in inside the front office of the Detroit Lions did they want to go Derek Brown here it sounded like Matt Patricia did the the DM office wanted to go Jeff Okuda well the GM was the one who wound up making the pick here they do go Jeff Okuda and it was for good reason you do still have guys like Snack Harrison you have some defensive linemen you do not have a replacement for the guy you just traded away in Darius Slay so I've said this before as well because again this is was straight up for with my mock draft pretty much to this point it's not till the next pick that it actually starts to differ a little bit but with Jeff Okuda yes he comes in he is to me a guy who is good enough to be a shutdown slot shadow coverage corner in the NFL, I think that's what we're going to see him as. He's a day one starter, absolutely. But at best, at best, he replaces Darius Slay, who's he's been a tremendous corner throughout his entire career in the NFL. At best, he replaces him, which means at best, this Lions defense improves not at all. Uh, so from a fantasy perspective, I'm still not really looking their way. And from a fantasy, if you have the wide receivers going up against Detroit Lions, yeah, Jeff Okuda is going to be a tough matchup. Don't forget those are still going to be his rookie season, so it's not going to be the uh, void, the black hole, if you will, if they're going up against Darius Slay last year, although it's still not going to be a plus-plus matchup at the same time either. But this rookie year, his first year, is going to be the only year that I think teams like Devontae Adams, Adam Thielen, are going to be able to take advantage of him in any kind of way. After that, I do think he will be a shutdown corner for years to come, and it was still a good pick here by the Detroit Lions overall. The next pick was a little bit surprising, right? A lot of people thought Isaiah Simmons would go to the New York Giants, but instead they went offensive line. They decided to continue to invest in the offensive side of the ball and get Andrew Thomas. Now, there's a couple things here. I did not have Andrew Thomas rated as my highest offensive line because I do not think he has the potential of some of these other guys like a Tristan Wirfs, like a Makai Becton. But I do think Andrew Thomas is the most polished, most NFL day one ready starting offensive tackle of this draft class. And he's one of the true guys who actually can be a left tackle, which is what they're doing here, right? They are investing in protecting Daniel Jones right off the bat. They are investing in trying to prove that offensive line and help out Saquon Barkley. This is what this was all about. This was about trying to play what they feel is already the strength of their team. I still think the Isaiah Simmons pick would have been a better pick here because he alone could help start to transform that pathetic defense that they have over there. But guess what? For fancy owners, if you have anybody playing as the Giants, play, 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 because you're going to be good to go there. It's going to be on the offensive side of the ball. Does this give Daniel Jones the added time for him to take a step up? Does this help out Saquon Barkley next year and being able to have a few more creases uh, to be able to run through. That's going to be the real question here. It could well have that effect. Andrew Thomas is a a good, solid offensive tackle. I don't think he has top four potential. I don't know if he's going to be the Hall of Fame, the Pro Bowler every single year, but he is a guy to come in day one and be able to help them out on the offensive line. So you can't really complain about this pick at the same time and what it could do for Jones and for Barkley in particular heading into next season. But moving on was the big, with the big, me, the big pick, of the top 10, uh, well, top five, I should say, altogether. And that was Tua Tagovailoa going to the Miami Dolphins. And the fact that the Miami Dolphins did not have to move up to get to it. They were able to stand pat and let him fall to him at five. And I think that was the hugest thing in the world that they did not have to trade up to go and get their guy. Look, a year ago, everything was tanking for Tua for the Miami Dolphins, right? And they, they couldn't tank right, but because of circumstances around Tua, he winds up not being the number one pick anyway, falls him at five. So they still wind up getting their guy while having developed, while having shown some improvement towards the end of last season. 
Now, I have been one of the people who has said time and time again that the injury concerns the two Tagalavoa, especially concerning his hip, are overblown. The idea that he is not going to be ready to play by training camp and take part in practice is ludicrous. Anybody who's telling you that has not paid attention at all to what the doctors who have worked on Tua have been saying for the past several months now, which is surgery went great. His progression, his rehab has gone great. That the injury itself is not degenerative, but a freak accident. It's something that they've only seen in car accidents, frankly, before. Not something that they are worried about being a re-injury possibility down the road or a degenerative situation, which was what was first reported. And I think still, for some reason, seems to stick out in a lot of people's minds, especially a lot of analysts' minds, when they started to break down to a tag of the vote. Now, has he had other nagging injuries like ankles and this and that here and there? Yes, Yes, he has. Is injury still going to be a question mark around to it? Yes, yes, it will. But it's not to the extent where all of a sudden he can't be a franchise quarterback and everybody had to question that under the sun. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I think from a talent standpoint, I will stay firm on, I believe, Tua Tagovailoa is the number one quarterback from a talent standpoint over Joe Burrow in this draft class. But I think the Dolphins actually got the best quarterback of this draft class at number five, which makes it a great pick. How much does he play his rookie year? I do not know. I don't know what the Dolphins' plan for him is. It'll be a matter of how healthy he is during training camp when he is participating and how much the Dolphins want to play him week one. I think there's going to be some interest there, but don't forget they brought in Chan Gailey as an offense coordinator. I truly believe because they felt like they were going to be going with Ryan Fitzpatrick at least to start the season. I think it's a big reason why they went with Chan Gailey there. So I think the plan is that Ryan Fitzpatrick will at least start the year. Maybe about halfway through when the Dolphins are inevitably not in playoff contention, they'll switch things over to Tua Tagovailoa. That's why for redraft leagues, I think he's going to be a guy who's maybe a streamable guy if he's able to take over the job at some point. But you're talking dynasty mostly when you're talking about Tua Tagovailoa, and I love him for dynasty purposes, right? And I love what this does with the weapons around him because you got Devontae Parker, who I do believe is going to wind up staying there and signing another contract extension after this season. You have Preston Williams, who looked like a budding superstar before he got injured already in his rookie season. And we'll get to see what he can do. Maybe Mike Gesicki can turn into something. The jury's still out there yet to be seen, but he's somebody who has actually has athletic ability at the tight end position. Although, Chan Gailey's not known for using tight end. So we will see how much of an impact he can truly have. And on top of all that... You have Jordan Howard, and we will see what they're able to do because the guy I had them taking with one of their first-round picks was DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is still on the board, and the Dolphins still have a lot of second-round picks. So they might still have a chance to go get their guy, their running back, who I think would complete this offense in a big way and really add some weapons there. So from a dynasty standpoint, I love Tua. I love what he does for Preston Williams and Devontae Parker in particular and what they might be able to do offensively from a fantasy football standpoint. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. It's not just the thought that counts. It's your thought. Because no matter how much time you spend picking out the perfect gift, the only thing they'll really care about is that it's from you. Here's to experiences they'll continue to cherish. Season after season, make this December one to remember. 
together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. The next pick that we have to talk about is the Chargers here at number six. They also kind of go chalk with a lot of people thought that they would go with their quarterback of the future in Justin Herbert. Now, Justin Herbert is not going to have any value for redraft leagues. I think it's been pretty clear from day one that Anthony Lynn is all about Tyrod Taylor at least getting the start for this season. And the reason why I don't believe that Tyrod Taylor is going to get benched at any point this year is because I think the Chargers are very loaded roster and should very much be in playoff contention throughout the year. So I don't believe that they're going to turn the reins over to a rookie who may not be able to get into practice may not be able to get into the playbook until August until training camp begins so that's where I think the Tyrod Taylor will be the guy for the season because I think the Chargers are going to have a pretty successful season especially with the defense they've been able to put together especially with the weapons that they do have on offense now as far as his dynasty value goes, it's going, to be, it's going to come down to what you believe Justin Herbert is as a talent. I personally have been very vocal on this. I think he's the biggest bust of the draft, especially here at number six. I do not I do not see the consistency. I have not seen the improvement from this guy. Justin Herbert's a guy we've heard about in college for a long time now. And I have yet to see this guy really make a marketed improvement from year to year as being a three-year starter that he was in Oregon. I haven't seen it. Uh, he's still widely inconsistent to me. Yes, there are times he's able to improvise and make pretty impressive plays because he does have physical attributes that you're looking for, 6'6", 236, and can throw when he's on the run and is mobile. But the problem with him is that when he's going from the pocket, his mechanic break down very, very easily. He's the type of quarterback to me that I have seen time and time again look like he is seeing ghosts out there. And not to mention the fact he has a long way to go when reading defenses. Remember playing in that Oregon offense? They make it very, very simple for their quarterbacks to be able to read defenses, not to mention they're not playing against the best defenses in college football to begin with out there in the Pac-10. So, yeah, I I think Justin Herbert has a long way to go. I don't think he starts at all this season. And frankly, in Dynasty, I'm passing on him because I don't really, frankly, like the talent. But if you're not like me and you think Justin Herbert has something to offer, the case can be made because you have Hunter Henry, you have Austin Heckler uh, locked up, you know you have Keenan Allen. Uh, so you have weapons there to be a, and you know you Mike Williams who we're still waiting for a breakout and I do think that there's a decent chance that that breakout will come this season uh, pretty soon but still nothing if nothing more slay jump ball uh, red zone targeted wide receiver so there's weapons out there to be had if he can put it together I am not of the belief that he ever ever will Carolina Panthers at number seven take who we all expected them to Derek Brown they got to put some emphasis back on that defensive line they lost a lot of defense stars their offensive side of the ball is set with the addition of Teddy Bridgewater and Rob Anderson already having DJ Moore Curtis Samuel and Christian McCaffrey in place so you know the focus was either going to be on the offensive line or on the defensive side of the ball. And with Derrick Brown, the monster that he is in the middle, the way he can take on blocks and really kind of just change defensive front, free guys up to get one-on-ones, and be a guy who can be a deterrent in the middle as a run sufferer, yeah, this made a lot of sense for them to go with Derrick Brown here and help turn that around. Now, I've addressed this before from a fantasy perspective. Until these guys are able to get that secondary improved the Carolina Panthers are not a defense that I am going to be looking at in any kind of way to be somebody who can be fantasy uh, relevant for that so I don't think we're going to see much out of them from that standpoint and I'm not going to be looking at them from that standpoint but Derek Brown was a solid pick there by them now my first big steal of the draft was for the Arizona Cardinals at pick eight Ticking Isaiah Simmons. No one expected Isaiah Simmons to follow them there. Uh, everyone thought he was going to go to the Giants. I think they 
they had to pick in quite quickly, uh, realizing that he fell to them. He fits their defense perfectly. They're already a defense who has a lot of guys who are versatile pieces with him and Buda Baker, and they have Patrick Peterson hopefully coming back. That's going to be the question mark, right? And that's my, that's my big question mark as far as fantasy purposes go. If Patrick Peterson is able to return the form and be the guy that he used to be without the HGH that he got pinged for last season and had a missed six game through the suspension, this defense might be pretty good and pretty athletic. They're not going to be very, very big. They're not going to be able to, I don't, there seems like they're going to be a team that's going to have issues against the run. But with Isaiah Simmons, first of all, he helps them a lot with the leaking, leaking sieve that was their defense against tight ends last year, whether he's playing linebacker or safety. And I think with the Arizona Cardinals, he has an opportunity to play both, which I think is what the, the best situation for him could have possibly been. And with that, he's going to be able to play all over the field and Buda Baker and these guys, and they already have their second best corner from last year. This is a defense that has some athletes. They're going to be able to match up with teams that are looking to throw the ball against them, which goes well with their philosophy overall is, right? Because their philosophy is they want to be able to spread the ball out and put up a bunch of points on offense. So the big thing that you want, you want to pass rush and you want guys who can cover. Isaiah Simmons can cover anywhere on the field. Buda Baker, Chandler Jones can give the pass rush. Patrick Peterson, this is a defense. They, they match what their offense wants to do. Now, if they get into a low-scoring fair, if they get into a slugfest type of game, they're going to lose because they're, they're going to get out physical. They're not designed to be able to out physical anybody, but they are designed to play fast, finesse, and be quick hitters. And that's what their defense reflects now with Isaiah Simmons. This is a defense that I think has an opportunity here to get some turnovers. And I think while they're not going to be a top 10 fantasy defense, overall when the season closes out i do think this is going to be a defense that you're going to look to stream in certain situations because of what they can do with turnovers and their athletic ability maybe even some dfs plays here and there so something to kind of watch out for and i'm going to be interested in before we move on to the jaguars pick at nine i do want to talk to you about one of our sponsors my bookie you can always bet on anything with my bookie even without sports going on right now like democratic nomination the presidential election even the name of the next pope Join now and start winning big today. Visit mybookie.ag and use promo code BELLYUP for a 50% deposit bonus when you sign up today. Again, that is mybookie.ag and promo code BELLYUP. Make sure you guys go ahead and check that out. So at pick number nine, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it wasn't really too surprising here. I think in my mock draft, I actually had them taking Javon Kinlaw here and adjusting how many losses they had especially as far as girth goes in the interior of that defensive line for them to go ahead and take cj henderson here it was not it was not a surprise right we knew they need secondary aj bouillet gone jalen ramsey gone they need it bad cj henderson arguably one of the better one of the best pass pure covered corners in this draft class maybe better pure coverage than defakuda necessarily not all around not going to be the guy to make tackle but it's still a bigger type of corner is going to be able to take out those bigger type of receivers. Fits the mold of what the Jackson Jaguars have looked for in their corners in the past. This wasn't a bad pick here. Not a surprise here, especially since the cornerback class after C.J. Henderson has a significant drop as far as the tier goes in talent level. So nobody's going to knock them here for this pick. It doesn't make them fantasy relevant on the defensive side of the ball, though. They still have a long way to go as far as that goes. But not a bad pick here by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Moving on to the Cleveland Browns. We knew they were going to go offensive line, right? It was either they were going to trade back or they were going to go offensive line. They stay pat. They take Jed Willis. 
I really like. Uh, I think he's a, he's a guy who's going to be able either play tackle or guard. I think this is somebody who can project well in either territory, but I think somebody definitely can come in, play tackle for them. It's something they desperately need, especially in the fancy system. This is a guy who's pretty athletic. He's going to do really, really well in a zone scheme system, which is what the Cleveland Browns are going to be starting next season with Kevin Stefanski. So I think he fits well with what they want to do. He feels one of the biggest needs that they had. And now all of a sudden, this offense is starting to look pretty complete all throughout, not just with the skill position players, but with the offensive line. And most importantly, what we'll talk about in our coaching changes fantasy impact in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll talk about Kevin Stefanski, what he's going to bring to the table. It fits perfectly with what Cleveland Browns want to do and their fantasy impact for all players involved could be very, very interesting from that squad and could be a big improvement from what we saw last season. And this pick helps a lot with that. New York Jets, kind of similar here. Now, a lot of people are questioning, were they going to go wide receiver? Were they going to go offensive tackle? I actually had them going with uh, offense. I had them taking Jed Willis. I actually had this flipped around where I had the Browns taking Makai Beckton and the Jets taking Jed Willis. But either way, I had them taking offensive linemen. Why? Because I know for a fact that Adam Gase doesn't believe in actually having talent to skill position players. So I did not believe for a second he was actually going to waste the first round pick on a wide receiver when that's just not the way he thinks. That's not what he's going to want to have. So guess what? They go Makai Beckton. Not a bad pick. To me, Makai Beckton has the most potential of all the offensive linemen in this draft class. Also probably has the longest way to go as far as a developmental project standpoint. I don't know if you can necessarily say he's definitely for sure a day one starter, other than the fact he just went to New York Jets, so he's going to have to be a day one starter by default. But I think ideally, I don't know if that was necessarily the case. This is a guy who still has a little bit of a ways to go as far as his fundamentals in pass pro, but as a run blocker, you're not going to find any more powerful. You're not going to find anybody bigger. And when he gets your hands on you as a pass rusher, you're not going to go anywhere. So that's the biggest thing here about Makai Becton. Look, the Jets are in a situation. They don't really have any wide receivers. James Crowder is probably their best one coming from the slot position when they line up with that. We'll see what they're able to do in the second round. There are still a lot of receivers left on the board. The fact is this team is still going to have to be revolving around giving Le'Veon Bell a bunch of touches and having that be the focal point of their offense. Makai Becton... With the return of Brian Winters, if he's able to stay healthy, we'll give them a side of the offensive line that he should be able to run behind and actually find some creases to run this season. So if he does get 300 touches again this year, it might not be for just two yards every time. It might actually be for four or five yards, and maybe Le'Veon Bell, if he gets some room to run, will actually be able to do his former Le'Veon Bell thing. Because to me, it didn't really look like Le'Veon Bell lost a step, in my opinion. It just looked like he had nowhere to go. And Makai Becton helps out a lot in that instance. So this actually will boost Le'Veon Bell to some degree. Not crazy. We're not we're not talking about round leaps here. But this will help boost my confidence in what Le'Veon Bell might be able to do this season, staying as a high-end RB2 with volume production that could make him a low-end RB1. This does help with that. So a sneaky fantasy-relevant pick here by the Jet with Makai Becton. So we go to the Oakland Raiders. All right, I'm sorry. We go to the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm just going to take some time to get used to that. We go to the Las Vegas Raiders, and our first wide receiver of the draft finally comes up the board. And that's all we heard about with the wide receivers all season long, right? Finally, the first one comes off the board. We had heard the entire draft process how much the Raiders loved C.D. Lamb and how much that would make sense as a fit for what they need. And what did they do? They gave me a flashback to when Al Davis was still the general manager, and they took speed over quality. 
Now, I felt a little bit torn about this pick, right? Because when they took Henry Ruggs, I've been one of the guys who've been saying that I like Henry Ruggs. I like him a lot. I, I've, I've been one of the guys saying that I don't think he's just a one-trick pody. He's not just a speedster. He's not just a gimmick player. He's a guy who runs better routes than he's given credit for, who I do believe can play on the perimeter. He's not just a slot, a small, fast slot receiver. I think he's a guy who can play on the outside. As a compliment, though, I never had this guy rated as somebody who could be a wide receiver one. So who's your wide receiver one? Tyrell Williams? I think you drafted Henry Ruggs over. If you're drafted Henry Ruggs as the number one receiver on your board, which clearly he was because they took him over Jerry Judy and they took him over CeeDee Lamb. You're telling me you think Henry Ruggs is a number one type of wide receiver. What you're telling me is that you think Henry Ruggs is the next Tyreek Hill. The difference between Henry Ruggs and Tyreek Hill is Tyreek Hill is on a different level. It's not just that he's fast straight line. It's that his quickness, his twitch from side to side is unmatched on the field by anybody. Henry Ruggs isn't that. He's not that guy. He still needs to work on some of his route running ability, especially when it comes to option routes. I don't understand this. CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, especially Jerry Judy, who I thought they would go here if he fell to them because he fits what more what Antonio Brown was going to bring to the table while they went after him in the first place. Henry Ruggs isn't that guy. So I question this pick quite a bit as far as the Raiders side of things go. Now, from a fantasy perspective, from the Henry Ruggs standpoint, this is a guy that I talk about all the time. I thought DFS... Uh, and redraft to some degree was going to have value. It's not going to be consistent because of his big playability. He's going to have weeks that mm, it's going to be Henry Ruggs, who's wide receiver one of the week. How many? Two, three, maybe four tops throughout the entire season. It's not something you're going to be able to trust from week in, week out. He's not going to have that kind of volume. So from a dynasty standpoint, you're talking more about a consistency volume. What are you looking for there? Well, yeah, I mean, for the next few years, at least, he's definitely going to be on the field every single snap, including his rookie season. So there, there's a boost there that he wouldn't necessarily had, but do I put him ahead of Jerry Jeter or CeeDee Lamb in Dynasty? No. He's still not as talented, and it's not a fit that you're going crazy over. You're still talking about Derek Carr, who, to this point in his career, has been predominantly a check-down quarterback, not a guy who airs it out consistently. I think that's one of the reasons why Tyrell Williams, uh, when he wasn't scoring touchdowns, his fantasy value suffered because he wasn't going after those deep bumps because Derek Carr wasn't looking to go there. And if you're saying, well, the bench Derek Carr for Marcus Mariota, how is Mariota any different in regards to aggressiveness on the field? He's not. So I don't know how many of those big plays he's going to have necessarily. And he's not a guy who I think is going to demand a high number of volume, right? So I, from a fantasy standpoint, I, it doesn't change. I would have him, if you made an argument for him with it being the third best receiver, I don't think it would change it positively or negatively going to the Oakland Raiders here. But for me, I had him as the fourth, maybe fifth guy. And I think after seeing where Justin Jefferson landed, I think I have him as a fifth guy behind T. Higgins, who still has yet to be drafted. But I still have a lot more hope for T. Higgins. And frankly, I can make the argument that I may still have more hope for Denzel Mims, who hasn't been drafted yet either. But that's kind of where I'm at. When it comes to those guys, I, I question this pick a ton. Uh, but from a fantasy standpoint, he is a guy who's he's gonna be that he's gonna be that prototypical home run flyer. You're gonna take him because you know that if you play him enough, he's just gonna win you a week here and there. It's just gonna be a matter of knowing when that's going to come. And we'll see if he's able to develop and then we'll see what the Raiders do moving forward from a dynasty perspective if he, if he can come more than that. But I do not project him as a true number one type wide receiver. Tampa Bay Buccaneers trade up one slot here to make sure they can get the last of the big four offensive tackles that were on board in Tristan Wirfs. And I truly believe that Tristan Wirfs 
is the guy that they wanted all along. I do think if Andrew Thomas fell here, that would have been just fine for them too because, he, like I said, he's a more polished day one type of starter. But Tristan Wirfs has the potential that you're looking for at that position. Now, he has a little bit of a longer way to go than, say, Andrew Thomas does. There's going to be some mechanics, some fundamental aspects he's going to have to work on. And I do think there's going to be times, especially in his rookie season, where you're going to see some ole situations out of him because he's going to get cross-feet cross once in a while because that does happen to him from time to time but he's athletic ran a 485 as a 65 320 pound guy the screens will be there draws will be there the pulls will be there and look any anything at tackle position right now is, is a big improvement for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they went after the position that they needed to go after this was the biggest place they needed an improvement on yes they can go after run back but they can go after running back in the second round and being that big three uh, at least my big three anyway, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, and Jonathan Taylor still there in the second round. There's a possibility they could go after that. So with, with Tristan Wirfs here, he does a lot of things for them, really secures him up, has good power, has the big thing about him is he has big time kind of potential with the athletic ability, the physical gifts that he has if he's able to get his fundamentals uh, going in the right direction, which I have no doubt that he will with a season coach like Bruce Arians. So this was a big get for them. This helps out everybody involved. This stabilizes what your excitement may have already been for guys like Todd Brady, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and now even Rob Gronkowski. We'll still see what happens at the running back position because I still don't believe it's going to be Ronald Jones as the featured guy. Moving on quickly, though, to the 49ers. Javon Kinlaw at 15. Everybody thought that they were going to go wide receiver, right? It was the perfect situation. They were at 13. So this is pick 14, excuse me. They were at 13. They switched around. They pick up a draft pick from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, move back one spot, and they still have Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb both on the board. And instead, they decided for the sixth year in a row to take a defensive line with their first round pick. They go with Javon Kinlaw. They decided they wanted to replace Buckner right away rather than actually improve a weakness on their team. That's kind of how now that's my 49ers fan reaction right there. I I said this, I tweeted this out. I said this on another show that I was on last night. Wake me up when the 49ers don't take a defensive lineman in the first round. Now, yes, do they have a need in the middle with Buckner gone? Yes, they do. They still need somebody coming to play in the nose that kind of play in that A gap. They did. There was guys that thought they could sign for that to get by for now if they really wanted to, because you just paid a ton of money to Eric Armstead. You're going to have to pay Nick Bosa in what? three, four more years now. We don't know what we have to Solomon Thomas because he still hasn't really had an opportunity to play consistently enough. There was other moves to make here. The big move, the 49ers are truly trying to be Super Bowl contenders like they were last season. They went there and want to try to have a chance to get back there. They needed to prove at the wide receiver position. And I know what you're saying. Well, Dan, they did late on the first round. We're going to get to that. We're, we're going to get to what my take is there. Now, as far as Von Kinlaw himself, what does he do? I like him a lot. He brings a lot of stuff to the table. He is a good anchor in the middle of the defense. He can take on the block. He can free up the linebackers. He's not a guy who's going to have a lot of numbers as far as sacks go because he typically is more of a penetrator rather than a finisher when it comes to the pass rushing ability. But what does he do? He comes in. He fills in for Darrell Buckner. He's able to play that type of role, and he keeps the defensive line as elite as they had been uh, I, I'm i not going to say he is, he is the Buckner already walking in day one because he's not, but 
I think from his talent standpoint, with what they have around him from a defensive line, his job isn't as difficult as Buckner was when he first came into the league either. So he's going to have a chance to succeed there, and this keeps the defensive line 49ers still elite. So they'll still be a top five fantasy defense uh, when it comes down to it from there. Nothing else to say there, really. Now, the Denver Broncos, to me, got the best, got the best pick. They got the best pick in the draft because nobody would have thought that you could stay at 15 and take Jerry Judy there, who could not be a better compliment to Cortland Sutton. There's no way. Could never have been a better compliment to Cortland Sutton. Absolutely love this pick and maybe my favorite young wide receiver duo in the NFL outside of maybe Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And even then, they're a little bit younger, so it's a little bit more exciting. The only problem they have is Drew Locke as a quarterback. And I, I don't care if you're Drew Locke apologist or you're, you're, you're still saying the jury's out on Drew Locke or what he can do. At the very least, the jury is still out on Drew Locke. And I'm one to say that he's not accurate. He's not a, he like Josh Allen to me. He's not a guy who I think is going to consistently complete more than 55, 57% of his balls. And it's going to be an issue when it comes to Cortland Sutton, when it comes to Jerry Judy's consistent fancy values. They might get peppered with targets, but who knows if they're actually going to hit the spot. That's the annoying part here. That's the only thing that keeps them from being uh, potential lockdown wide receiver ones in a year or two. Cortland Sutton especially. Got a lot of guys like him. I love him too. I can't rate him higher than a wide receiver too, though, because of what he has to deal with at the quarterback position. Now, having said that, there is a caveat to that which is Pat Shermer being the offensive coordinator now for Denver Broncos. Pat Shermer has a long history of crappy quarterbacks being able to put up big numbers and play well because he is such a good offensive mind, and I still think the Giants are retards for making him go as the head coach. And it wasn't his fault why that why that team did not perform as well as they may have wanted it to last season. It makes absolutely no sense to me. It was actually a mistake by them. A great get by the Denver Broncos, though, and he has a history of being able to put quarterbacks in great positions who maybe aren't as good or maybe aren't as accurate with Drew Locke. They have all the weapons in the world, right? They have Devin Gordon. They have Philip Lindsay. They have Noah Fant, who's an exciting tight end from the team. And now... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, team ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Noah Fan's not going to be asked to do too much. Just helps out Noah Fan quite a bit too, because now your your role is going to be the stress to see out. It's going to be to do what you do best. You don't have to be target monster. You don't have to be a chain moving relied upon target, which he cannot be because his hands are still very inconsistent and may always be inconsistent to some degree. But now he's not going to be asked to do too much. So this helps Noah Fan's potential, what he can do and play his role more successfully. 
And having Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy complement each other is going to be nightmares for defenses. I love this pick. Yes, Jerry Judy, uh, I still think because of the Drew Lock situation and the new coach and new system year one, I don't know how much value he's going to have in redraft leagues. He is going to be redraft value draftable, if that makes any sense. He is somebody who's going to go into top 16 rounds if you're in 10, 12 team leagues this year. That, that is going to be a pick you could be made. He is somebody who's going to have low-end wide receiver three potential for redraft leagues because he could step in day one. He's going to be the starter on the other side. He's going to have enough volume that might head in his direction to make him fantasy relevant in that sense at worst the wide receiver four. So he's going to have redraft value. What I'm saying is I don't know if he has crazy potential in his first year, but from a dynasty standpoint, especially if they're able to move on from Drew Locke at some point and get a better quarterback, Ooh, I really like this a lot for everybody involved. And for Cortland Sutton, I get quite a bit because defenses aren't going to be able to just key on him and, and, and cloud cover him and try to take him away either. So this was a great thing for everybody involved. Very excited about the fantasy prospects of Denver Broncos in general. And that's going to be a team profile, profile that I can't wait to do uh, later on in this offseason. Coming up, we got the Atlanta Falcons that picked 16. They went with cornerback A.J. Terrell. This was a guy that a lot of people had or didn't went back and forth whether or not they had him even in the first round if they did they had him late in the first round most the place i saw him most commonly mocked at was the 49ers at their 31st pick so this is pretty high now in their defense what i'll say for the Atlanta falcons is that once you got past cj henderson there was there was no consensus third corner there was no consensus on where these guys really lined up at after that so in that sense it's not like it was clear cut it was all about team preference right I'll follow it up with this. I think the pass rush was much more important than the cornerback position for the Atlanta Falcons because they have zero pass rush right now. None. They've addressed some issues on the defensive line, and they have guys who can are a little bit more uh, ready to stop the run and can pass rush a little bit. But Clavon Chason made a lot more sense for me here to, to replace Vic, Be- Vic Beasley. AJ Terrell. He's a bigger body corner. Yeah, you, you have to replace Desmond Trufant, sure. He gets toasted a lot. He's fast, but he gets toasted a lot because he gets caught flat-footed too much of the time in his backpedal. So I, he, to me, this is a developmental guy that you took mid in the first round. Mm, mm. There's, a, there's a reason why the Atlanta Falcons defense is horrible every year, and this is part of that reason. But before we move on to our next picks, we got the Fanatics uh, sponsor that I want to talk to you guys about. They are the number one sports retail and memorabilia store in the world. They have sales every single week, and you can click directly to what they're giving away each and every week by following us on social media at Show or on Facebook at Show. And we always are posting our feeds to them directly. You can click on that from one of our social media posts and find out what their deal is for this week. Always great place for fans to get their favorite sports memorabilia anywhere around the world. Now the next pick, and probably next to the Denver Broncos, the next great pick of this draft, and that is the Cowboys taking C.D. Lamb. I can't believe he fell to them at 17. I can believe that Jerry Jones would make this pick as soon as he fell to them at 17. There were other ways that they could go on defense especially. But you know the strength of the team is the offense. Why not make it even stronger? And hey, in Mike McCarthy's defense, even though Kellen Moore is going to be the one calling the plays, and, and Kellen Moore is of a similar mindset when it comes to offensive philosophy anyway, look, he was at his best, had his best productive years 
on the Green Bay Packers when he had three really good wide receivers to go to on a consistent basis. Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, and then whether it was James Jones, who was a great touchdown specialist, or more importantly, Randall Cobb in his prime. And that's when they were at their, their greatest in production level. And they were able to run the football. So Ezekiel Elliott, this doesn't hurt Ezekiel Elliott in any kind of way. If anything, it might make him more efficient. Will he get as many touches? Maybe he doesn't get as many carries. Because this, this team clearly with this pick, I believe, shows you that they're going to look to be having a more pass-first approach. But as far as what they can bring to the table, as far as what they're going to be able to do offensively, this could... You can make an argument that next to the Chiefs, this could be the best offense in the NFL now, or at least maybe one of the most explosive, or at least maybe the team that has the second most touchdowns in the league. You can make that argument now with the addition of C.D. Lamb. You have Michael Gallup, Mark Cooper, and C.D. Lamb to play with. With Ezekiel, don't forget Ezekiel Elliott. You are going to be a great team in the red zone. Dak Prescott, who's mobile and can run into himself and create the mismatches that way. This, this, this Cowboys offense is going to be a nightmare, a nightmare for defenses to match up on. Now, from a fantasy standpoint, what does this be? I mean, Mark Cooper's still the number one. But this helps Amari Cooper a lot. Because now, all of a sudden, when you bring in C.D. Lamb, you have Michael Gallup. Amari Cooper can play the slot. Amari Cooper in the slot with the route-running abilities that he has. Whew, whew. I've already been a guy who has went to put cold water on the whole notion that Amari Cooper can't stay consistent throughout the season because I like to point out that with the Dallas Cowboys, when he's healthy, he's been pretty consistent. Now, everyone's point that the second half of last year, uh, he was a decoy second half of last year. And you could tell by the way he was pobbled on the field each week. Yes, he played, but he was a decoy. If he's healthy, he's out in the field. And now, all of a sudden, he's never going to see double coverage. And you're going to be able to line him up on the slot and get a mismatch that way. I like Amari Cooper. I like him a lot. If you're worried about his target share, I'm not. This is going to be a more wide open offense, even more so than what we saw at the beginning of last season. When the Cowboys are firing on all cylinders under Kellen Moore, and we're using more motion, we're getting guys uh, mismatches when when they're more healthy. That's what we're going to see again, and it doesn't hurt the value of Ezekiel. Uh, the only the only person this might hurt is Michael Gallup because that's going to be the guy who I can see his volume being reduced in a significant way with the addition of C.D. Lamb. And from a rookie standpoint. C.D. Lamb, I think you have to consider him more of a wide receiver four, maybe even a wide receiver five. I do think he's somebody you can draft in redraft leagues, but his his volume is something you're really not going to get a great indication for until we get into the season. So if you draft him, he's more of a guy that you're taking a shot on down the road that maybe he maybe he winds up taking over Michael Gallup and winds up being the second receiver, or I should say the, the receiver with the second most snaps to Amari Cooper over Michael Gallup. I could see a scenario in that happening. Why I love Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb to me projects every bit as a number one wide receiver, every bit as a future superstar. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he took over that job. But for now, these guys are just, just going to have opportunities. And Dak Prescott... Oh, holy moly, look out. Dak Prescott might just became a top four, top three quarterback, arguably speaking, behind, could be right behind Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Because, I mean, he, he's going to sneeze and have one-on-one matchups all over the field. He's going to sneeze and fall into 30-plus touchdowns this season with these weapons. And even though that offensive line lost Travis Frederick, it's still one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. So big things there from a fantasy perspective from Dallas Cowboys. Now we have the Miami Dolphins at pick 18. 
And they did what a lot of people expect them to do, at least at some point with one of their first three round picks, right? They went Austin Jackson. Was it early on Austin Jackson? Yeah, it was. But kind of like Cal- kind of like the Falcons at the cornerback position, it's one of those situations where there's a large drop-off once you get outside top four. So it be- kind of becomes a preference. My preference personally was Josh Jones for them because I think he had the p- actual potential to be a lockdown tackle. But Austin Jackson does make some sense from a perspective of he can play – he's going to – play tackle right away they're, they're going to want to try to have him out of the tackle position but he's somebody who in my opinion and i'm not the only one might project out pretty well to be a guard at some point so if you have a guy who i think is definitely a an nfl starter whether it wants being tackle or guard you had to address that offensive line you had to get some help on there he'll start off a tackle we'll see how he does but he does help improve a situation for them that really frankly any addition to would help improve so while I would have maybe went Josh Jones here, while I maybe would have went DeAndre Swift and taken an offensive tackle with their last first-round pick, especially now Josh Jones is still on the board after the first round. They could have went that direction. Maybe that's what I would have done, but I'm not going to argue with the pick here too much, and it kind of keeps in place them trying to give guys like Jordan Howard, trying to give, whether it's to a tackle of O or Ryan Fitzpatrick more time and help them in that sense. But not too much else to talk about here because I really want to talk about the Raiders. I really think the Raiders had a bad draft. And this is the second year in a row where I think they have really, really screwed up their first round. And this isn't the first pick that they went high on defense here. They go Damon Arnett at the cornerback position with their with the 19th pick overall. And my mind went, who? Not that I didn't know who Damon Arnett was, but because nobody, and I mean nobody, had this kid reading the first round. Nobody. And I started laughing myself because when you're watching the draft there and one of the first things out of an analyst's mouth is his competitive nature. This this kid's so competitive. That code speak for doesn't really have a lot of talent and has to use his competitive mindset to will himself to play better than what he actually is. That's what that's code speak for whenever you hear an NFL analyst say that, especially about a player who was taken in the first round. That's what that means. So for them to go here, it just kind of made me laugh. It reminded me of Clinton Farrell when they took him number four overall last year for a guy who a lot of people thought they could get him with their later first-round pick in that draft. Damon Arnett, he, yes, he is a need player for them. They need perimeter corners. That is true, and that's what he's going to play. Problem is, is that because they have nothing there on the outside, he's going to step in and be a day-one starter. He's not a day-one starter. And I heavily question if he's going to be able to keep up against bigger, fast wide receivers. He ran a four, five, six. That's not great when you're talking about a guy who, since you drafted him with the 19th pick, you're expecting him to be your number one corner, expecting him to be your shutdown guy at some point. Not going to happen with that skill set. Not going to be a guy who can take away that number one wide receiver. Not going to be a guy who can handle that speed. It's going to be a guy who's going to get toasted down the field. So more of the same, in my opinion, for the Oakland Raiders secondary down the road. Great if you have your wide receivers playing against them for a future reference. But as far as their defense goes, I still expect this to be one of the worst heading into next season. This doesn't help that in any kind of way. Jacksonville Jaguars do help himself a little bit on defense when they take linebacker Clavon Chase on or edge player. However you want to break down, some people think he can be a, a 4-3 defensive end. Maybe he can. The point is this. They are pairing him up with Josh Allen, and they are trying to get a pass rush. That's what they're going for, right? This is a defense you're still going to be able to run on them. Because they didn't go Javon, because they didn't go John Kenlaw and they went C.J. Henderson, this is a defense that's going to be 
looking to rebuild through their pass rush, and I guess with C.J. Henderson looking to rebuild that secondary as well. But it's going to be defense you're going to be able to run down the throw on. I like Clavon Chason. I think he's a solid NFL player projection-wise. I think he's a solid pass rusher, and I think the fact that he's going to be able to compliment Josh Allen on the other side will make him even better, make him even a more productive pass rusher than I think he necessarily would have been had he gone to the Falcons, which is who I, I think he should have went to. Uh, as far as the team perspective goes, but I think he will be more more productive as the second pass rusher on the team and more compliment piece will get more one-on-one looks. So I like this pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're a team that has a long way to go to rebuild what they lost from a defensive position from fantasy football perspective. This doesn't change any kind of way. They're still not going to be on my radar, but I like what they're doing here. I like how they paired them up. I like what they're going after in a situation. So this wasn't a bad pick by them, especially considering the defensive side of the ball is something they're just going to have to continue to address. Cause, and obviously, this is a team that I truly believe is trying to tank for Trevor Lawrence next year anyway. So just getting some fundamental pieces in some weak need positions is something that probably all they're looking to do and build in that direction. So let's get back on track with a little more spicy, fancy football take, and that would be Jalen Regar going to the Philadelphia Eagles. And this was a horrible pick. Look, I don't care if you're a fan of Jalen Regar. What you have to admit is that he's a big play threat and still has a long way to go in his route running ability. Not a guy who lined up inside or outside, so he's not a guy who has the experience of being versatile and he lined up all over the field. Strictly lined up on the right outside perimeter position when he was there in college. Strictly was a guy that used as a big play threat. Now, you could throw him screens and he could, he could break it off, or you could throw it down the field and he could outrun somebody. But he's not a guy who makes a great great amount of in-traffic 50-50 ball catches. He's somebody who has to get open. He's somebody who has to get separation. And yes, while the Eagles you saw last year, even look, put all the wide receiver woes they had injury-wise aside for just a moment. Even when they were healthy, you saw how much they needed another guy with speed out there to be able to stretch the field because teams could just box them up. They could say, all right, look, we know you want to go to Zach Ertz, you know, 8 to 12 yards down the field. We know you want to throw a 50-50 ball to Alshon Jeffrey 12 to 15 yards down the field. We can just play within 20 yards here and pretty much take away all your options because nobody's going to actually get separation and get open, especially when Deshaun Jackson was out because you had no speed anywhere. No speed. So they definitely needed speed in this situation. I don't dispute that. That's what Jalen Rhaegar is, but I see him as a one-trick pony in this situation. I see him as a big play threat only. I see the guy who's at the very least has a long way to go before he can be a complete wide receiver. And they're going to expect him to come in and look, if Sean Jackson's healthy, maybe he's not the day one guy. Uh, from a redraft perspective, I don't think it'll take long because I think it's inevitable that Alshon and Deshaun both get injured at some point. So from a DFS standpoint, is this a guy who's going to have some value because he's going to be cheaper because he's going to be a guy who has the potential to break off a big play here and there? Yes, absolutely from that standpoint. No no doubt about that. But this was not the pick they needed to make. They needed to go with Justin Jefferson, who winds up going to the next pick. I did not like this move for them at all. Like I said, just from a fantasy perspective, go on Jalen Regard. Dynasty purposes, he's going to be locked up with Carson Wentz long-term. Uh presumably, at the very least, will be their second best wide receiving option, their, their second targeted wide receiver. He doesn't project to me as a number one guy. I think they're always going to need a, a bigger body type on the other side of him. And maybe that's JJRK a white side, yet remains to be seen there. Uh, but he's always going to be a guy who's going to probably be in that range where he's going to get maybe 60 catches, and it's going to be more about his big play ability in that sense from a dynasty perspective. 
But I don't think he's going to be a guy who's ever going to be consistent week to week from a redraft perspective, whether it's rookie year or any year of his career. He's going to be that guy that you're taking him as a wide receiver four flyer, maybe a low-end wide receiver three flyer who has the potential to give you top-end wide receiver two weeks, maybe a couple of low-end wide receiver one weeks because he breaks off a big play here and there and can maybe win you a week. That's the type of player that you're talking about there from a fantasy perspective. But next up was a great pick. Next up, the Minnesota Vikings taking Justin Jefferson. Uh, yeah, I had them taking Xavier McKinney here originally, but I also didn't think Justin Jefferson would fall to them at 22. So that was a big difference. If you told me Justin Jefferson was going to be there at 22, absolutely I would have told you Minnesota Vikings would without a doubt be taking Justin Jefferson. He fills Stephon Diggs perfectly. He's a guy who can line up inside. He can line up outside. And a real quick note on that, I'm not really sure when the narrative became that Justin Jefferson can't play the outside on a consistent base. The guy's a route runner. He's, everyone sees the possession receiver. He's a route runner. He has good hands. And guess what? He's 6-1-2-2. He can play the outside. Uh, yes, he pr primarily lined up in LSU as a slot guy. That's because Joe Brady likes to give his guys mismatches. And Jeff Jefferson, as their number one wide receiver, lining up as a slot, especially in college, a lot of times that was the biggest mismatch you could have, especially since Joe Brady's running through receiver sets anyway. On the Minnesota Vikings, he's going to be able to do the same thing. Him and Adam Thielen are going to be able to be interchangeable. They're going to get mismatches. And that's what the Gary Kubiak offense is all about. And the fact that he ran the 4-4-3, I think, should have at least proven to people, though it seemed like some people have forgotten already, that he has more speed than you necessarily thought he did. He has more explosive ability than you necessarily thought he did. Is he as fast on tape as Stephon Diggs? No, not, not from what we've seen out of LSU necessarily. But does he fill what Stephon Diggs did for them in that role perfectly? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Minnesota Vikings don't miss a beat with Spawn Diggs going out with this with this with this move, with this draft pick. I love Jefferson Severs. I think he's gonna be one of the rookie wide receivers who is going to have a big re redraft impact. Is somebody who I'm going to be looking at as a potential wide receiver too, who you're gonna be able to draft as a wide receiver for later on. Very excited about this guy. Very excited about him in Dynasty. Uh so it's just great fantasy situation for him all the way around. Great thing for the Minnesota Vikings and all of their other fantasy football players uh, mentioned as well, including Adam Thielen. Look, Adam Thielen doesn't need to be a target monster to be a great fantasy wide receiver. What he really needs is to not be cloud covered or double covered. And now he won't have to worry about that with Justin Jefferson in the pick here. So great, great pick for them all the way around. The next pick was the Chargers. They're trading, they trade back up into the first round to pick 23 with the New England Patriots who... Once again, in Patriots style, for all the talk about them moving up and getting a quarterback or taking Jordan Love, blah, 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 blah. They're, what they're telling you is that either they have somebody that they want to take in the second round at the quarterback position or they're, they're, they're serious about Jared Stidham being the starting quarterback because they, they traded out of the first round entirely and took an extra second and third round pick. And when they already had one of the most amount of picks in the entire NFL going into this draft class, they still did that. So that, that's where it come, becomes real, real interesting to me that they did that. But as far as his pick concerns, Kenneth Murray may be my favorite linebacker of the draft class, frankly. I don't know if he's definitely my favorite linebacker of this draft class because I do love Isaiah Simmons quite a bit and his versatility and what he's able to bring to the table. But I do love a lot what Kenny Murray is able to bring to the table. He's a guy that I had could ch totally change a defense around depending on where he went. It was definitely my favorite inside linebacker. And it's hard to find really good inside linebackers in today's league anymore because there's such a premium on hybrid players at that position. And 
with Henny Murray going to the Chargers, a team that's already made a lot of great acquisitions this offseason on the defensive side of the ball. This has made them, in my opinion, a top five defense heading into this year. Now, it's the Chargers. Could it all unravel because of injury, because they seem to be a curse on that team when it comes to injuries? Yeah, ab- absolutely it could be because it just, it just happens every year because every year you get excited about what they have on paper on their roster and it never comes to fruition. So yeah, you have to take that in consideration. But just going on paper, which is all we can do right now, from a skill roster standpoint, to me, this is a top five defense and a very scary defense with the addition of Ken Murray. So I like this pick a lot for them. I thought it was smart for them to trade up and go this route, and it could be a very high-impact player. The next one up, a boring pick from a fantasy perspective, but a smart pick nonetheless. I think the Saints would have went Kenny Murray here had he felt it. I think that's a big reason why the Chargers felt he needed to trade up to 23 in order to get him in front of the Saints. But when he was off the board, Cesar Ruiz makes some sense. Now, there was a few people who had him going to the Chiefs, 32. That's the only other time I think I've seen him really go in the first round necessarily. But leading up to that, he is a guy who's going to be able to play center. He could play guard. The interior of the offensive line of the Saints was a bit of a need. And the biggest thing you have to do in protecting Drew Brees, it's not so much about the tackles when it comes to Drew Brees because he has such a quick release and he doesn't drop back as much. He doesn't do a lot of seven-step dropbacks. He does a lot of like two, three-step dropbacks and the ball is out of his hands. That's a lot of his timing offense they have. The biggest thing to protect Drew Brees is actually the interior of the offensive line, giving him a clean look, giving a clean little bubble for him to be able to step up into and be able to see. Because right, because he's six foot, he stands on his tippy toes, all that's being able to see the throwing lanes. That's why they had to protect the interiors more important with a guy like Drew Brees. So Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Cesar Ruiz definitely helps with that. He helps with the running game, obviously. He helps with the offensive line in general, whether it's center or guard. I think he will get the opportunity to play center with the Saints, which is his more natural position, especially heading into the NFL. But this is not a bad pick here, even though it's not the sexy, fun uh, pick you necessarily look for, especially when you're talking about a fantasy show. I do want to talk to you guys real quick about our store. It is open. We have our official MD's Fantasy Football Show merchandise available to you at teespring.com slash store slash MDFF show. You can get a t-shirt commemorating the fact that you won your championship or boasting the fact that you're a commissioner or you can embarrass the hell out of one of your friends with a loser championship t-shirt along with getting official MD's Fantasy Football Show merchandise apparel. We have t-shirts. We have sweatpants. We have hoodies. We have everything that you could possibly think of in that store today. So go ahead and check that out for us. Moving on here, the San Francisco 49ers actually trade up. They, have, they already had their two first rounders. They trade from 31 
225 using some of the capital they had picked up in the Tampa Bay trade when they traded back one slot to go get what was apparently their guy in wide receiver Brandon Ayuk. Now, I'm going to give you the fantasy perspective on this first, and then I'm going to give you my fan reaction as a 49ers fan. The fantasy perspective on this first is that this is a great thing for Brandon Ayuk's value because it's a guy that a lot of most people had, I think, in the second round. Some people had him in the late first. Most people had him in the second. He's most known for what he can do after the catch because he's a guy, if he catches the ball in stride, he has physicality to him. He's six foot 205. He is almost pure muscle, though. He's like a running back when he's out in the open field and have the ball in his hands. That's kind of how he plays the game. So he breaks a lot of tackles. He's good when he hits in stride. He has a very long wingspan for a guy who's six foot, which allows him to go up and get catches, but had a lot of question marks as far as his ability to consistently make those catches in traffic, especially those 50-50 balls. A lot of times, didn't always come down with it as strong as you expected him to or he should be doing. Doesn't always attack the ball. Doesn't always go towards the ball in his routes all the time either. Something else that he needs to work on. And his route running ability, uh, especially when it comes to the option routes in the short intermediate part of the field, needs some fine-tuning. He needs to learn how to sink his hips a little bit more so he can get a few sharper cuts. All those things were developmental issues I thought would put him in the second round as a playmaker type of guy when he first comes into the NFL, but a guy who was going to have some development before he could really be a consistent perimeter starting wide receiver and a guy to me who projected out as a number two complement ideal wide receiver, not a guy who I thought was going to be a number one star for a team down the road necessarily, but could be a very good complement to somebody with the skills that he brings to the table. Uh, for a guy who is a big play threat, only ran a four or five, so he's not a guy in the NFL who's going to burn past people very often in that sense too. He's going to have to get better at the catches in traffic because he's going to have to lean on his physicality down the field. This is a good fit for him, though, because he comes in a situation where the opportunity, the door is open for him to be a starter right away. This, he's going to have the possibility to be the starter opposite side of Debo Samuel, even in his rookie season. So from a redraft perspective, he's going to have some interest as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five prospect who has some upside potential because of the volume that he could possibly see because he's going to actually be a starter unlike some of these other receivers stepping in day one on the outside perimeter by default, right? So he's going to have some value in that sense and being a big play guy, DFS, uh, an occasional redraft week winner is kind of in cars for him, especially on this team and especially since it's a team that has an efficient offense and will be able to score and put themselves in positions to score. So that's what we got from a fantasy perspective. From a dynasty perspective, you're paired up with Kyle Shanahan for a long term. The XY receiver historically for Shanahan is a guy who does really well and gets volume. And that's Debo Samuel's not an X wide receiver. Let's, so let, let's keep that straight. He's, he's, like, he's, the, he's that mismatch peach. This guy's going to go in motion. This guy's going to line up in the slot more times than not. He's not the X wide receiver. So while he gets involved in the offense, he's not going to be the guy who conducts, who demands the most targets in that offense. Brandon Ayuk comes in a situation where he could wind up being the X wide receiver, which in Shanahan's system, historically, is the guy who gets the most targets when they actually have one they can go to. That's why I say historically, because last year that wasn't really the case. But they didn't really have a true XY receiver last year until Emmanuel Sanders came along either, and that was halfway through the season. So you can expect a huge production from that standpoint. Uh, so that's why I say historically. My fan reaction to this is I was pissed, absolutely pissed. I was happy that we traded back one spot to pick up a third rounder because we didn't have any picks between the first and the fifth round. You traded up to get your guy. T. Higgins is still on the board. Denzel Mims is still on the board. 
both whom have more potential, both whom I believe at the end of the day would have been better fits for what the team actually needs. And you traded up for Brandon Ayuk, a guy who you probably could have stayed pat at 31 and taken. I don't know who they were scared of, who they thought was going to be taking Brandon Ayuk ahead of them. And you can look at the evidence of the situation because between picks 25 when they took Brandon Ayuk, there wasn't another wide receiver who came off the board for the rest of the draft. Jordan Love, uh, Seattle went defense, Titans went offensive line, Ravens went defense, Chiefs went, went with a running back, Dolphins, Dolphins went defense, nobody took a wide receiver. So you're going to really sit there and tell me that Brandon Ayuk wasn't going to be available there at the 31st pick to begin with? If that was really who you wanted to go with, he was going to be there. There was no reason to trade up for Brandon Ayuk. None whatsoever. And I thought when they were going to trade up, I thought they were trading up to go get D. Higgins because that was the next guy best on my board. Kyle Shanahan has always done great, especially from a passing standpoint in this system when he has a bigger type wide receiver to go to. T. Higgins, Enzo, Mims, depending on which one it was, didn't matter to me. Both fit that profile. Denzel Mims gives you the speed that this offense sorely needs, sorely lacked because they need somebody who can at least stretch the field and get defenses out of the box against them. Brandon Ayuk doesn't have that speed that scares the defense off, that scares the secondary off, or scares that safety off 20 yards off ball. They don't, he doesn't do that. That's what they needed. Open things up for what they like to do in the intermediate, the West Coast system, the passing game, for the rushing game on the outside zone. That's what they need to do. And they didn't do that. Not with this pick. So I have a lot of issues with this from a fan perspective. This is not where I wanted them to go at all. Didn't like it. From a fan's perspective, this is probably one of the better situations Brandon Ayuk could have wound up in. So that's, that's the difference on there. But I wanted to get my fan reaction for 49ers and how pissed I was that you trade up for not just a guy who I don't think is the best fit for what you need to wide receiver position, but would have been there at 31. Moving on, though, probably one of the biggest stories coming out of the first round was Green Bay Packers trading up from pick 30 to pick 26 to take Jordan Love. Now, immediately, there were memes of Aaron Rodgers going to England Patriots. Let's be clear here. They traded up to take Jordan Love for the future. Aaron Rodgers has two more years left on his deal. My thought is that he will probably play out those two years. The Green Bay Packers will try to win now while they have Aaron Rodgers. And then the idea is that Jordan Love, after two years of development, which is something that I do think he needs. Like I I talked about Jordan Love coming in this draft class as a coming in the mock draft. He was a quarterback who I felt like has a lot of potential, but unlike some of the other ones that we say, oh, the quarterback needs to sit for a year, I felt like he needs to sit for two years to really learn the mental aspect of the game because this guy had a long way to go before he's able to read defenses and make better decisions. He's going to get that opportunity. This is the... This is probably the best fit Jordan Love could have wound up on because it's probably the only fit where I actually can see him getting the opportunity to sit for the next two years. And what a who's a better mentor than Aaron Rodgers for him to follow in? Now, as it stands right now, the Green Bay Packers still don't have a lot of weapons, and I don't have a lot of confidence in Matt LaFleur's play calling. But as far as Jordan Love goes from a dynasty perspective, yeah, I'm going to look to take him for down the road. Now, you're still talking about later on. He's probably not going to play for the first two years, but down the road, yeah, because he wound up in the best situation possible for him. This doesn't affect anything else in the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers is going to go over anywhere for the first two years. It'll just be after that. When his two years are up, if he wants to continue to play football at that point still, it just it won't be for the Packers. That, that's all it really boils down to. He's not going anywhere this season. 
maybe, maybe if Jordan Love shows great improvement in their practices or whatever, and, and the Packers just want to move on and get what value they can for Aaron Rodgers before he just walks all together at the second year, maybe they move him next year. But even that I would consider to be more of a long shot, especially if the Packers are in Super Bowl contention. I would have rather seen him go on wide receiver in the first round, but because some guys fell that weren't expected to fall, they're still going to have that opportunity to maybe address that position. So we still have to see what happens there. I think Denzel Mims would have been perfect compliment to Devontae Adams and really would have gave him a great chance to go for it this year. But what this does tell me is the Packers aren't necessarily all out this season. That's what that does tell me. So I understand why some Packers fans were upset, but from a fantasy position, we're not going to really know anything about that for another couple of seasons, though. Moving on, the Seattle Seahawks, they take Jordan Brooks. We expected them to go defense. I thought they might go Ross Blaylock, or Blacklock, excuse me, because on the defensive line, I could see them wanting to bolster that up again, get back to what they used to be able to do with stopping the run and being able to both penetrate and stop the run. I thought he filled that former Mike Bennett role pretty well. Uh, but then instead, instead, they go Jordan Brooks. Definitely still another need. They need a linebacker. They needed a bigger linebacker, six foot two forty. He could arguably play the inside for them at his size, being that they have a lot of smaller type of guys. Bobby Wagner tends to get banged up a lot. So he's a situation he can come in. He's a tackling machine. He's a solid linebacker. He's going to help them against the run, especially, and just be kind of solid in that front seven. So not a bad pick here. Nothing that really excites you in any kind of degree from a fantasy perspective. We're still talking about the Seahawks as a middle of the road somewhere between maybe a 12-15th defense maybe they can show some improvement with some of their younger guys from last season maybe they take a jump up and they can get inside the top 10 but still defense I think is going to be more of a stream defense maybe they wind up getting drafted late uh, but not somebody who I'm going to be super excited about heading into uh, this season but will be a defense that you will be able to utilize in fantasy football purposes and this was a, a nice pick uh, to be able to help them out with that action Another pick for another linebacker, but a little bit more exciting, is Patrick Queen. I think the Ravens were tickled pink when he fell to him there. Uh, they could have went wide receiver. That, that would have been a nice pick, too. And from a fantasy perspective, that would have been much more exciting to talk about because you know, Lamar Jackson pairing up another wide receiver. I was a little bit surprised that they didn't because with T. Higgins available here, I thought T. Higgins is the perfect type of wide receiver that they need to pair up with Marquise Brown's speed and getting that more physical, physical threat. Uh, who could pair up there with Mark Andrews, especially in the red zone, which his team is you know, already excellent at to begin with. So that that's where I kind of thought they might go there, but they go with Patrick Queen. They need another linebacker. And even though he's a smaller guy, here's some talk. He, he might play outside. He might play inside. Typically wouldn't be an inside guy, except for the fact that with the additions that they made this offseason with guys like Clay Campbell and some others, that defensive line is going to be one of the more bigger penetrating defensive lines in the NFL to begin with. So he's in a situation where he has definitely the opportunity to be kept clean. He's not going to have to take on a ton of blocks, and you don't want him to. At 229, even in college, taking on blocks is not his strong suit. But if he has clean looks, clean pathways to the ball, and he's able to use his athleticism to shoot the gap, he's excellent at that. And he's going to have every opportunity in the world to do that with the Baltimore Ravens. So I like him a lot, especially in IDP leagues, dynasty leagues, uh, what he's going to be able to do. The fit was perfect for him. And this, this to me, makes the Ravens an arguably top five fantasy football defense with the additions that they made and what they already had in place going from last season going into this year uh, as well. So definitely a defense you're going to want to look out for for fantasy football purposes. Tennessee Titans here. This was no surprise to me that they went Isaiah Wilson. 
Definitely a guy we had in the second round, didn't have a first round grade on, but being that Austin Jackson, which is who I had them taking, went so early to the Dolphins at 18. I think they could have went with Josh Jones, but Josh Jones is more of a guy to me that projects out as the left tackle, is a better pass pro guy. They needed to replace the right tackle position. They needed to replace Jack Conklin. That's what Isaiah Wilson is, a 6'6", 350. is definitely a little bit more athletic than you would think for a 6'6", 350 guy. Pretty strong. He fits perfectly what they want to do. Big girth will just big mauler, and that's what they want, right? Because you're going to be – it's the same Tennessee offense that we saw last year. It's going to be based around Derrick Henry, based around a power run scheme system with being able to utilize Ryan Tannehill's mobility in play action and, and, and read options. That's what they're going to be based on. Isaiah Wilson comes in. He fills the need. He fits what they need to do, especially in the run blocking game. Now, there's going to be some Olays in the past because he's, he doesn't have a great kickback. And when they get in situations that he's going up against decent pass rushers and they're having to throw the ball in two-minute drills and whatnot, it's going to be a little interesting to see. But what they primarily want to do on offense, he fits that really, really well. And I think is as good of a replacement as they could have gotten for Jack Conklin. Is he Jack Conklin? No. He's not quite on that skill level, skill step. They weren't going to find that at pick 30 anyway. So I think he's best with what they would, would have been able to get there on the board. Dolphins trade back from 26 to 31 from the San Francisco 49ers. I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last name. I'm just going to give you what his nickname is. That's what you're going to be calling him anyway. So that's Noah IG. That's right. Instagram, Noah IG. That's what you're going to be calling him anyway. Now I'm going to try to uh, embarrass myself trying to pronounce that last name. Haven't got enough time to get the, pronounce, the correct pronunciation when it comes to that. So this was, I have to say this was a bad pick. I don't think it's a bad talent. Nobody had him going in the first round. So that, that, that's number one. Clearly, they liked the guy quite a bit. I do think they could have gotten him in the second-round pick if they really wanted to. I don't, I don't think they needed to take him here. But maybe they think they can get their running back, their DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor, whoever it is that they're targeting there. Maybe they think they can get them in the second round. For a team, though, that is paying the most out of all the teams in the NFL to the cornerback position specifically, it was a little bit surprising for them to target another cornerback in the first round. Especially a guy who projects more as a perimeter quarterback, not necessarily a slot guy. Because the only thing I could see them going for was a slot guy. You have Xavier Howard, you have Byron Jones, both are perimeter guys. Byron Jones does have some flexibility where he has played the slot a little bit in the past. So maybe uh, maybe that's their idea when they go three cornerback sets. But this is a guy coming in. He's projected more as a perimeter guy. I'm not too sure about this pick. It doesn't change anything for me for the Dolphins' side of the view. They're, they are a defense that I think is a streamable sleeper defense. Not a defense I'm going to be drafting, but they added enough pieces. With, you know, They have some passers there now with Shaq Lawson, Byron Jones. They have a better secondary that people give them credit for. It's a defense that I do think has the potential to take a big step up for sure. Uh, not a defense I necessarily have to draft. I think I'd rather be able to stream them. But they do have some sleep-type potential where if you're in the 16th round and you just want to take a defense, you're going to be streaming them anyway. They're not a bad defense to go with. But this this, this didn't make that happen. This didn't change that in any kind of way. And I kind of questioned the pick overall. I think it would have been better off either going with another offensive lineman here or going with a running back uh, down the road, I think would have been better for the Dolphins here at number one. Just kind of curious to see them take another first-round type corner when they had already invested so much in that position in free agency. But the big pick, and I think another big storyline, especially the way they ended the draft, especially from a fantasy perspective, was the Kansas City Chiefs, in fact, going running back with their 32, with their, so their 32nd pick, but not taking one of the big three. They didn't take Swift. They didn't take Dobbins. They didn't take Taylor. They took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Now, this is a guy, he had been getting a lot of hype 
later on. And for decent reason, I like Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I've broken down his tape. I've talked about him in this show a few weeks ago when we we're talking about running back potential. I had him as a guy who could be argued as the fourth best running back in the draft class or fourth or fifth. Uh, I have him as a guy who can play all three downs. He has that capability to do so because even though he's only 5'7", 207, he's pretty compact. He has pretty good shiftiness, pretty good lateral quickness in the hole. He can make guys miss and kind of pop out. You kind of can't find him behind that offensive line and kind of pop out unexpectedly in certain situations. But while he was a guy, I had him as a three-down capable running back. That didn't mean I had him as a guy who I thought was capable of being a featured running back. There's a difference. I always thought this was going to be a guy that no matter where he went, he was going to have to be in a situation where he was more committee than anything else. So that's where I kind of questioned this, where you had, to me, DeAndre Swift fell to the board. I thought this had to be DeAndre Swift because he makes all this, he can, he's the best pass catcher of this draft class. And he's a guy who actually projects out as somebody who could be a legitimate feature running back for you down the road. So if you were going to go running back because you knew Damian Williams is in the future and you didn't think Darrell Williams or Darwin Thompson were going to be the future in any kind of way, which I don't think anybody really does. And you're going to take somebody because you want to keep re, you want to keep loading up that offense as much as you humanly can. Patrick Mahomes, keep playing to your strength, keep playing to you, what Andy Reid likes to do. DeAndre Swift should have been the pick. Should have been the pick. A lot of people are super excited about this. I'm not saying this was for Clyde Edwards Hilaire, for his fantasy value from that perspective. He couldn't have found a better place to land. That, that's without a doubt. He could not have found a better place to land. But as far as everything else goes, I find it a little questionable that they went with this pick from the Kansas City Chiefs perspective of things. As far as Edwards Hilaire, yes, the dynasty value definitely shot up where at worst, he's the fourth best running back. Uh, and for dynasty purposes, if you still have a higher grade, because we haven't seen where DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins have landed yet. That's been the big question, right? We haven't seen that. So there's still a chance they land in some pretty prime positions where they could still maybe have some more value than Edwards because they have more potential uh, uh, skill set to their game, a more potential outcome of being elite running backs down the road. But for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, at the very worst, he is a RB2 PPR machine. And Damian Williams, I don't know what this does. Uh, does Damian Williams, to me, makes him drop like a rock for fantasy redraft purposes because I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to play in his rookie season. Now, the question is how much, right? Because there is still that caveat that he's not a great pass blocker, and I've talked about this show a million times. If you're a rookie running back and you're not a great pass blocker, sometimes it takes you longer than expected to actually get on the field on a consistent basis. So we're still going to have to see how that plays out. I'm not going to get uberly excited about him in redraft leagues, or at least I should say I'm not going to overdraft him. He'll definitely be somebody who gets drafted. I'm not going to overdraft him because I'm going to have that caveat in the back of my mind. There's a chance he doesn't play a ton until Damian Williams does get injured. But Damian Williams, though, his dynasty value just dropped like a rock. And even his redraft value, I think he has to drop at least two or three rounds because you don't know exactly how long he's going to be able to hold on to his positional role job. And Edward Taylor, being that he can play all three downs, uh, it'll just it'll just be very interesting to see. This is something I'm going to have to dig deep on, uh, and my projections and rankings that'll come out over the summer. Uh, but for dynasty purposes, this definitely gives he's definitely going in the first round and no later than the fifth pick uh, for dynasty purposes. And that's still dependent upon where we see DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, and J.K. Dobbins. He could wind up being uh, he could go all the way up to one one like people are talking about, depending on what their landing spots wind up being. But this is a very interesting pick here for fantasy football purposes alike. That wraps up the show for today. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back next week. We're going to recap uh, the fantasy perspective 
for the rest of the draft rounds two through seven. We're only going to focus on fantasy relevant players. I'm not going to be breaking out too many defensive guys in that uh, recap because there's going to be so many picks to go over. So we're going to go over some of the top impact guys throughout that draft. We're not going to go through every offensive player either. Otherwise, we'll be here for three hours for one show. Uh, but I hope you guys all enjoyed today's show. Make sure you're checking us out on sportscaster.com, on YouTube, on Facebook, and for the first time, check us out live on Twitter. Make sure you check us out on your favorite podcast app. We're available to you on every single one of your favorite podcast apps, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, a new one, Stitcher, anywhere you like to go. We are available to you guys. Make sure you check us out real soon. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. Make sure you're following us for all those player news update notifications, and we'll be back later on. I do want to give one quick shout-out. We're going to be going live on Tuesday night on the Belly Up Fantasy account. That's something that's going to be a new thing moving forward where we're going to get some guys from the Belly Up Fantasy writers. That's going to be a Belly Up Fantasy show. It's not going to be this show technically, but we'll be going up live at Belly Up Fantasy Tuesday night at 8.30. Make sure you guys go ahead and check that out. That's going to be strictly streamed live on Twitter for you guys. We'll see you all next week, next Friday, same time, same place. Everybody have a safe weekend. Take care and keep watching the NFL Draft for more, uh, for more entertainment there. See you guys then. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.